welcome, welcome once again to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, and I remain a huge fan of spring break. I'm a teacher and football coach by trade, and having this week off has been really nice. I've been able to record multiple episodes of this GBB Live podcast. I have had a chance to write a 3,500-word opus on what the Memphis Grizzlies should be looking for in their next head coach that I'll talk about here momentarily. And I've had a chance to set up conversations with some really smart people, and it's going to be another episode of that. So thanks, however you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, however you're joining us here on GBB Live. Thank you for listening. Again, I'm your host, Joe Mullinax, the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com. Ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter if you don't already do so at Joe Mullinax, M-U-L-L-I-N-A-X. Same thing with our terrific blog Twitter account at SBN Grizzlies. If you don't already follow us there, you should. Tons of terrific content. We're knee-deep in our player reviews right now, and as I mentioned, I have a two-part coaching search piece that is up on the blog right now as well that you should go check out. On this episode of the show, uh, in this opening segment, I'm going to break down that 3,500-word article, that opus. Uh, if, if Forgive me for chuckling. It's It took me five hours to do and lots of research, and, and I'm pretty proud of it, so I'm going to talk about it here. I uh, thought it was pretty good, uh, at least for me, and I, I like the concepts behind it. There's lots of names that you could throw out. I think the idea of what they should be looking for is more important. I'll talk about that here more in a moment. In the second segment of this show, I'm really excited to have him back on. He's been on in the past. He does a remarkable job in Memphis. He's one of the very best at what he does, not just in the city, but in the country, now that he hosts the NBA show over at The Ringer, a website that Bill Simmons runs. You know him probably better from his time as the host of the Chris Vernon Show before uh, he, his time with Grind City Media. He did it on 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis. Chris Vernon is a great guest of mine, and he hold, he holds no punches. He goes into Chris Wallace and the relationship that he has with him and what Wallace uh, is doing now, what, what it will look like now. Um, again, Chris and Chris have a relationship going way back to those 92.9 days. So I talked to him about that. Talked to him about Jason Wexler, Zachary Kleiman, and what Chris wants in the next head coach of the Grizzlies. So make sure you're listening to that. Can't miss that segment. Also, in the final segment of the show, Colin Griffith will join me. He does an awesome job for us over at GBB. Uh, he's an intern, technically, uh, completing his college education and completing his internship with us over the next few months. I'll talk to him about the coaching search, about young players that don't get as much hype uh, for a variety of reasons, Ivan Rabb, Dylan Brooks, what his take is on those guys as we continue with that player review series over at grizzlybearblues.com. So Chris Vernon's up in the next segment, and then Colin Griffith will close out the show. But first, I really want to get into this article that I wrote because, like I said, I I spend a good bit of time, 3,500 words. If you haven't checked it out already, both parts are live over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're giving them a read. Uh, I... I give six names, okay? And in part one, I talk about the dreams. And in part two, I talk about the realities. And to me, the dreams are more about pieces or people that won't necessarily be interested in the job or there would be some hurdles to get over to get them into the job. But they have what I'm looking for in the next Grizzlies head coach, and I'll get more into that in a moment. And then the second part talks about the realities. I think it's three names that Memphis should be very interested in that hopefully have a realistic shot at being named the next Grizzlies head coach. So the the four things that I'm looking for in particular, and I'll get into the names here in a moment, but what I really want from the next Grizzlies head coach is one, they need to have a resume. They need to have a resume that is deep, that has meaningful experience. If they're younger, they need to be a former NBA player, or in the case of one particular person, a WNBA player. They need to have a run as an assistant, at least. If they are a lifer in the NBA, they need to have multiple years, decades even, in that role. They have to show that they've been able to work with a variety of different people. I think that resume is important. Uh, Scheme-wise, schematically, that was J.B. Bickerstaff's failing. If J.B. Bickerstaff was able to draw up an out-of-timeout play, if he was able to have functional rotations on a nightly basis, if he was able to, on the board, on tape, on film, whatever you want to look at, get in-depth with what he was doing on both sides of the court, he would still be here. 
He was not able to do that. So schematically, I'm interested in an X's and O's person. I also think relationships are extremely important. You'll hear Chris uh, Vernon talk about that in the next segment. The idea of developing relationships and being able to communicate. Clearly, that's been lost in Memphis, whether it's Chris Wallace's fault, whoever's fault it is, whatever head coach, David Fisdale, uh, Dave Yeager. The communication aspect has clearly gone off the deep end, especially this year with the botched trade, the fact that Mark and Mike went out and, uh, and were put on the trading block in public. All sorts of examples of communication not being there and relationships not being there. And that doesn't mean being a player's coach. That means being a coach who can play the game a little bit and develop relationships with players as well as the front office. You need to have everybody on your side. It can't just be one or the other. The last few Grizzlies head coaches have struggled with that for a variety of reasons. Uh, Some of it probably not their fault. But this is an an example and an opportunity for them to take a step forward and find somebody who can develop those relationships. And then the biggest one is kind of tied into the front office. It's about vision. Memphis lacks an identity right now. The grit and grind stuff doesn't work. It's done. That's an era that was, A, curated by Tony Allen and Zach Randolph, and B, no longer exists. It's gone. It needs to be put into the past. Grit and grind 2.0, bad idea. You need somebody brought in with a new vision, a new concept of what to do with this organization. Obviously, that starts with Jason Wexler and Zachary Kleiman, but the head coach is the head of the on the court product. They need to have a direct voice and what that identity will be. So, those are the four things that are most important to me resume, relationship, scheme, and vision. And the Dreamers, in part one of the article, I list three names Becky Hammond, uh, Brett Barry, and Tony Bennett. Becky Hammond, I wrote about last year. I hoped that she would get an interview. Didn't get it. It was a very small interview process. Hopefully, it'll be the opposite of that this time around. But Becky Hammond is somebody who would obviously be the first NBA head coach that's a female in the history of the league. I think that she has a resume as a player that adds up in terms of what she's physically capable of doing uh, on the court as a basketball player. I think that she's learned under the tree of Greg Popovich. And by God, there's no one better to learn basketball from than Greg Popovich. I I think she's had that opportunity. She is clearly rising up the ranks of that coaching staff. I think all she needs is an opportunity. And if you're one of those folks that says a woman can't be a head coach, Quincy Pondexter kind of diffused that a little bit. He was quoted as saying back in January, Becky has really opened my eyes to see brilliance in basketball comes in all forms. Her love and passion for the game not only makes me better as a player, but the organization better for having her here. Uh, I say in the article, clearly unable to make an impact on men. Sarcastically, she can coach men. That's not a question to me. I think that she needs a more stable situation than the Grizzlies, so it probably wouldn't be set up to succeed right away. So maybe that disqualifies her, but I like Becky Hammond as an option. I also like Brent Barry, another San Antonio connection. He's currently in the San Antonio front office. Uh, The Steve Kerr effect. He was an NBA TV analyst, goes into the Spurs front office, makes sense as a coaching call, and I like that he has the analytical mind that, Kleiman and Wexler seem to want and I really think that he fits that mold there nicely so Brett Berry is another dreamer and then finally Tony Bennett the head coach of the Virginia Cavaliers I'm not just saying that because I'm a UVA fan I'm saying that because I've watched him build a program from essentially nothing into a national champion using talent far inferior to those other blue bloods in college basketball, developing a program, developing a scheme, developing an identity. There's that word again. Memphis is lacking that right now. Tony Bennett's team has an identity, and I think that's extremely valuable. Now, will it all translate to the NBA, like the pack line defense? Maybe not, but a hybridized version, I think it can succeed. Excuse me, it can succeed. And I also think that he is somebody that should be given an opportunity to try because he's run a program. He's shown the physical capability as a coach to win a championship, to build something from nothing. He has that experience. So Tony Bennett would be a good dream option for me as well. So those are the dreamers. I think they all fit my criteria. Then you have the realities. These are three names, three concepts of coaches that, again, they're more realistic. They have experience. They fit all the criteria, and they're not necessarily reaches, in air quotes. Uh, My first option was Jacques Vaughn. I think you can insert any retread coach that you want. Mark Jackson, Mike Brown. There's a variety of guys out there. The Van Gundy brothers. Um, 
all, all sorts of different people that you can reach out to and maybe fit in this mold. I just like Jacques Vaughn because he's a part of the Brooklyn Nets, and I really like what the Brooklyn Nets have done in terms of their rebuild. I also think Jacques Vaughn is realistic in terms of money. Memphis has not historically been a group, as Peter Edmondson said in our last episode of this show, that wants to spend a ton of money on a head coach. So I think Jacques Vaughn is cheaper in, that, in terms of your ability to pay him. But that doesn't mean he's lesser than. I think that his experience in Orlando, he had a very bad uh, head coaching experience in Orlando. But Beno, Beno Udre and Glenn Big Baby Davis were two major contributors to that team. And it shouldn't really surprise you if those are two important pieces, that important uh, back in 2012, that you're not going to have success. So I, I think that he should get a bit of a pass on that. He's worked with Kenny Atkinson and those guys up in Brooklyn. He's seen how to rebuild something from almost nothing. And Brooklyn had one of the worst trades in the history of the NBA and all that. And now they're in the playoffs competing with the Philadelphia 76ers, capable of picking off a game from that team. Um, I like the idea of Jacques Vaughn. But again, you can insert any retread there. And Chris, in our next segment, talks about having a little bit more experience in the head coaching spot. I could get behind a variety of guys in that place. I just like Jacques Vaughn. Uh, Number two, you talk about experience. You talk about a guy who's been an assistant for the Indiana Pacers over 20 years Dan Burke, defensive mastermind. He's had to develop schemes to stop everybody from Michael Jordan to LeBron James. His players love him. They love playing for him. C.J. Miles is quoted in an article that I use in my post about really liking playing for Dan Burke. He's 60 years old, so maybe that's a bit of a disqualifier, but if you can bring in a young assistant to kind of learn under him, an offensive coordinator kind of thing, let Dan set up shop for five years and then have a coaching tree in and of itself within the Grizzlies, I think that's a really good idea. So Burke hasn't been a head coach, but he's been an NBA lifer. He has a lot of experience in working with different types of people, developing those relationships both in the front office and beyond. I like him a lot. It might be hard to get him away, but I'd be really happy with him as the head coach. And my personal pick, if I had a one seed, it would be Sam Cassell. And Sam Cassell has been an NBA lifer. He played in the NBA for 15 years. He went right into being an NBA assistant for over a decade now. So 25 years in the NBA, that's a lot of experience. And he's a guy who can bring a bit of swagger, can bring a bit of an identity. He's learned from Doc Rivers. He's learned from Flip Saunders before Doc. He's had a lot of opportunity to watch and see what works. Again, the Clippers are a team that traded away their best player, Tobias Harris, before the trade deadline. Everybody thought they were tanking. They just completed the largest comeback in the history of the NBA playoffs, knocking off the Warriors. Now, does that mean the Warriors are going to lose the series? No, that's not what it means. But it shows the capacity of development. And whether it's John Wall in Washington, whether it's Chris Paul and uh, Austin Rivers with the Clippers, Shai Gilgeous-Alexander now with the Clippers, he's developed point guards, and whoever's going to replace Mike Conley, that's going to be an important gig, whether it's Salon Wright or somebody else. So for a variety of reasons, I really like Sam Cassell. He checks all the boxes. He's only 49 years old, so 11 years younger than Dan Burke. I think that he is a solid choice. He would be my pick if I had a pick. So that's the article. Make sure you're checking it out. It's a two-parter over at grizzlybearblues.com. When we come back, extremely excited to have him on the show. His name's Chris Vernon. You probably know who that guy is. We talk about his relationship with Chris Wallace, the front office shakeups, and what he wants in the next head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. Chris Vernon's up next. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, and I'm very excited to have this gentleman on the program, one of the top names in Grizzlies dumb uh, in terms of grind city media all the work he's done before he came to grind city media with the grizzlies he does a a terrific job excuse me hosting the nba show podcast on the ringer network again grind city media with the grizzlies he has a local daily podcast show that he does he does a great job with tony allen every tuesday for example if you miss ta uh, his shows are can't miss Uh, if you Follow grizzlybearblues.com. You probably know who this gentleman is. His name is Chris Vernon. Chris, how are you doing, sir? Great. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Absolutely. And again, thanks for your time. It's appreciated. And um, you you have always been good to me and all the stuff we do at GBB, so that's appreciated as well. Now, it's been a, a pretty crazy time over at the 191 Beal. Uh, lots of change. Obviously, the media has had an opportunity to chat with Jason Wexler 
and with Zachary Kleiman about a variety of topics still early in the process, of course, as they begin the rebuild, quote unquote, of the organization and what it's going to look like moving forward. But I wanted to get your initial reaction before we talk about the new uh, with the old. Uh, I told you before we started our recording here that I would listen when I lived in Memphis to you on the radio talking with Chris Wallace, shooting the breeze, you know, just for hours on end, stories about NBA life and that sort of thing. Uh, with him, I know you have a pretty close relationship with Chris Wallace. I think that most folks agree that it could have been handled better uh, now that it's all kind of gone down. But I was curious, given your relationship with him, uh, your perspective of the move away from Chris Wallace as general manager of the Grizzlies. I was unsurprised. Um, I mean, listen, they they botched the changeover from grit and grind to whatever they were going to do. And they built that roster and they tried to go with this talented team, whatever. And I'm aware that Mike Conley got hurt and whatnot, but it was lack of, you know, this coherent plan where you have a bunch of these guys, many of which were on that team last year, which aren't even like NBA caliber players. Jerome Martin's not playing. Deontay Davis isn't playing. Andrew Harrison's not playing. Wayne Selden was getting to play for the Chicago Bulls. But I mean, these are guys that, you know, even in Fizdale's year, the playoff year, you know, you're having to start these guys, you know, Selden and, and Harrison are, are playing in the playoffs against San Antonio. Um, and then you have these guys that didn't have high basketball IQ and a bunch of them. And so the next year you say, all right, well, we need to do a course correction. We didn't want, you know, it didn't work out with all of uh, you know, the talented guys that might have questionable basketball IQs and whatever that we can make something of. So now we're just going to get a bunch of good guys. and We're going to get good veterans that are good in the community and smart basketball players that can do a bunch of things. And that didn't work either. And so, and, and there's a couple coaches in between that time. And so I think you're out of being able to blame coaches anymore. You know, that was, you're already down to your, your third strike and obviously the underwhelming season was the third strike especially given that you had Marcus all and Mike Conley healthy for a reasonable amount of time um even if it was you know in part due to J.B. Vicker's staff the truth is you you aren't allowed to you you can't point the finger anymore also two just I mean you you had like all these botched things you sent Tyreek Evans home after you pulled him off the court only to not be traded. Um, you sent Chandler Parsons home, which was just bizarre um, in the middle of the season. And then the worst of all was the insane botched trade that takes place, which is just sloppy. It's just a lack of communication. I don't care whose fault it is. It's just a sloppy thing. And so when you have those things taking place, in addition to the roster being remade two years in a row, you're just not going to get to keep your job. Now, with Chris, obviously for years and years, he was on my show every week. That ceased maybe the last, uh, I don't know, five months maybe, six months. I don't know. He would come on here and there. But when I was at 92.9, because, you know, the truth was, you know, it got to the point where, you know, he would he would say things. He was getting uh, busted up about them. And it just, like, at some point, I guess the decision was made, this isn't what's best, is him being out there talking every week about everything going on. And I couldn't help but think about it this year. I mean, can you imagine those shows with the right. Chandler cramp and the botch trade and whatever else? I mean, I almost think, now this is my opinion, of which probably my bosses would not agree. I thought it was great for the organization for years because it held somebody accountable, you know, at the very end. They answered, you know, because he was on the show, things were answered for every week. So when Dave Yeager goes and, you know, interviews in Minnesota and when all, when all, a myriad of things took place throughout the years, there was somebody that, like, gave you a connection to the organization. And if something was screwed up, at the very least, you got to hear what he had to say. But, you know, it, it runs its course. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel bad for Chris. Chris got reassigned. Um so he didn't lose his job completely, and he had a very, very long career and will get to continue that in the NBA. You know, he thought it was all done the Levian time around. I mean, Chris was 
I mean, that was he had been relegated to you know on the outside looking in. He wasn't in all those meetings and everything. He was just kind of a figurehead that they had kept on you know on staff on payroll. But he was looking at getting into the media. He wanted to be, you know, he looked at being the new. Uh, he wanted to be the AD at Memphis um, when R.C. Johnson left. I mean, he couldn't do it because. He didn't have a college degree. <laughs> but, I mean, he was ready to move on. You know what I mean? Like, he had, I mean, I had already had conversations with him. I didn't know if he was going to be involved, more involved with doing, doing radio stuff. I didn't know if he was going to go try to get an admin job doing something else. But, you know, he ended up getting four or five more years um, out of getting to run an NBA team when once upon a time it was all over. And, you know, it was a good run. And, and they got a new owner, and they got new management, and that's it. And next thing you know, something goes haywire with Levian. He ends up back in that gig. But I didn't think that I didn't think they were going to get to keep their gigs. I didn't think the front office was going to get to keep their gigs after after this. Um, you know, and it's kind of crazy. It's right after the one year they absolutely nailed the draft pick. After all the box draft picks, the year the year let go is the year they nailed it. There is some irony there. And your relationship with Chris Wallace, again, if you ever missed getting to listen to uh, the Chris's chatting on 92.9 back in the day, and then obviously, as Chris alluded to before, uh, the, the switchover went and Wallace stopped coming on, they have a great chemistry and it was really fun to listen to. So I wanted to get your take on his demotion. And I think you're exactly right. If a change hadn't had come, you would have lost even more of the trust from the fan base in terms of what direction the team is going in probably could have been handled better as I said but at the same time uh, m- most folks agree that change needed to come and now that change is here and you have Jason Wexler who's taking over everything or at least overseeing everything both from a business standpoint and the basketball side you have somebody who is if you're trying to bring people back in in terms of trust I don't think they could have hired a better person Wexler is a Memphian he's somebody who understands the market understands the city and he knows He's very smart that they have a ways to go to try to get this thing right. You had him on your show and you asked him point blank about Zachary Kleiman, who's going to be making the final calls, the structure of it all. I'm curious, again, you've been working with him for years now. You're very familiar with him. As he takes on this added responsibility before we get to Zach, what is your take on Wexler as the as the new title of Grizzlies president? Well, listen, obviously I have tremendous trust in Jason simply because when I was leaving radio, that was a that was a huge risk for us, um, and I would not have done it if if Jason Wexler was not going to be the guy that was in charge. I mean, I I trusted him. I trusted that he would follow through on Grind City Media and all of the things that um, he said would come about um, regarding our deal. Um, I trusted that you know. I mean, John Roser sits next to me. Devin Walker's next to me now. I mean, these are the guys that. I wanted to bring along. Um, and so everything he has told me, I can only speak to my only, you know, to my experience, everything he told me came true, you know, and uh, I've been incredibly happy doing what I'm doing. And he is a tremendous boss. This is a whole other challenge, right? Because this is not business. This is basketball. And I think that Jason's role, and I think he attempted to explain this, and sometimes it gets lost in all of the, you know, the systems and the methods and the structure and all this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, listen, I think he is in charge of making sure he is a guy that can oversee what is taking place, delegate said authority, and making sure that this is all being done in a wise manner. Right, that this isn't the, 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 we don't have some of the sloppiness of the past, and that everybody is communicating um, with each other, and it's not this guy here, this guy there, this guy everywhere. You know, I think honestly, his job is to oversee what takes place within that basketball, the same way that he entrusts people on the big business side, whether it's John Pulisi or whether it's Anthony Macris or uh, or Macri or uh, sales president or whatever it may be, you know, day to day and dealing with each individual employee may not be the thing, but making sure that everything is running right, that everybody has a plan, having the meetings and everything like that. Um, 
I do think is his role, and he has proven himself with the ability to run things, right? The question will be, is it wildly different running a basketball team than a business? And I think there are a lot that would argue yes. I think there's a lot that would argue no. But I guess we're about to find out. We're about to find out. And and I've said it on the podcast and on the blog itself when I wrote uh, about the the path forward for the Grizzlies now that this has happened. If you're picking somebody to sell a vision about Memphis basketball, Jason Wexler's near the top of the list. So I like that promotion in terms of him having the overall ability to be that voice and that that guy with his feet on the ground as Robert Perra is not clearly he's not as comfortable doing that or he's not willing to do it whatever it is now you have Jason Wexler in that spot and I I think that he's a good public face of what they're trying to do Zachary Kleiman well, is and, the, and, and, and go ahead yeah and uh, I mean it is a business I mean listen to, to expand on what I was saying it is business but basketball is different and if there has been one incredible failing that I have felt they have been succumbed to, which in my opinion has to be fixed, and I hope it can, um, it's the level of communication all Absolutely. the way around. You know, the level of communication within basketball, it, it, it is just like everything else. It is a people business, and there was not a connection. It was like the team and basketball, and then there was everything else, including the front office where you have had, you know, all these coaches get into it with a front office. Like, I don't understand. I, I don't understand how, you know, somebody can't call Mark Gasol and David Fisdale into a room and hash this stuff out because it's for the greater good. I don't understand how, you know, Dave Yeager can't be pulled into a room and this get worked out. I don't understand how, you know, we can run Shelvin Mack and Jermichael Green as our first two subs off the bench for two friggin' months even though we get slaughtered every time we do it? Like, like, why why can't these conversations be had? Why can't everybody be on the same page? And that has been a tremendous failing, and that is how I do think it is different than business. Because in business, if your sales numbers are down or something is going wrong, it is of no consequence, and in fact, everybody does. It goes and they talk it out, and they go talk about it. And sometimes... The you know, the boss reams the the sales manager or, you know, they had some kind of group meeting where everybody gets together. And I've, I've just constantly felt like there was no great connection between what takes place on the business slash, you know, the, 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 the business of basketball and constructing the team and everything else and the actual players. And, and then that creates a level of distrust where they look around and they go, uh, uh, you know, who is in charge? Why do we have all new people again? Do I even know this person? Like, does this guy even know who my wife is or that I have kids right. or whatever else? And so I do think that that is a big task. And, and some of that is just because, you know, they're, they're kind of awkward guys, you know, like they're not. <laughs> and so I hope they bring in basketball people, whether that is Tayshaun Prince elevated to, a different role, or that is somebody that is basketball inundated. Whether they have been in a locker room before, they have played basketball before, they could walk up to a chalkboard and understand what is going on in the games and why this is happening and why that is happening, or draw up a play or whatever else. Like I do think that that is essential, and it's been a little bit missing just because Tayshon had such a very low role. Um, within the organization and it was kind of like a liaison to coaches players, but they've got to get that communication thing fixed. They just have to. That's a huge part moving forward. We're talking with Chris Vernon, follow him on Twitter. If you don't already do so, chances are you do, but at Chris Vernon show, he does a great job obviously with grind city media, but he also has a podcast that he hosts the NBA show for the ringer. Make sure you're checking that out as well. Uh, Zachary Kleiman is the other gentleman who has been promoted, has an increased role. 30 years old, which I'll be honest, Chris, made me feel pretty pretty old. I'm 32, so somebody younger than me is essentially in charge of an NBA organization now, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Theo Epstein is the example that everybody points to from Major League Baseball, taking over, I believe it was the Red Sox when he was 28 years old. So there's precedent for this at least being successful, depending on how you do it. 
Peter Edmiston had a great piece on The Athletic talking about their focus on analytics, really increasing that, different types of ways of diving into the numbers. That's all well and good, but as Grizzlies fans get to know this guy, what can they expect? Because obviously you have more exposure to him than others do. People are doing research. Obviously, he's made it very clear. He knows he has a ways to go to prove himself in NBA front offices, and that's part of what they're going to do, hiring another basketball mind, bringing in somebody that can help him kind of wade through the waters of the NBA contracts and dealings with agents. What can you tell us about uh, your thoughts on Kleiman taking over this role? Uh, Not necessarily GM, but in that brain trust concept, he's the guy, as you put it with Wexler, he'd be the executive of the year if Grizzlies ever were uh, eligible for that. Yeah, really good guy, uh, incredibly smart guy, uh, and like an extremely hard worker, right? And this is how within any organization or frankly any business, when you wonder how guys move up in the ranks, that's how. Right, they are they are putting in the work, and they are dogged about learning everything uh, that they can attempt to learn. And you know, I think what we've seen now over the course of the last several years is the types of guys that are uh, in charge are they're different than they have been in the past. Um, and so, listen, on Zach, it's a it's a wait and see. Who knows, right? I mean, I can't tell you what kind of general manager i don't think he could you know what i mean like he's really getting thrown in the deep end here and i do think that's why they're trying to find and inevitably will some real experience you know with the agents with the teams and with everything else around him but i have always been in the market of you know there are there are people that have uh incredible potential um he has certainly been identified as one of those guys. And so when you find smart people that are really willing to work hard and are able to keep getting better and better at what they do, I do think that there is uh, – you get a big leg up. And so I think that was part of why Zach was elevated to the job. You know, he spent a year, you know, understanding how everything goes. And I think probably – in an assistant role, sat back and probably like looked at a lot of the stuff that was taking place and was like, "Whoa, hold on now, right?" Like obviously, you were thrown in the deep end with all with guys getting sent home two years in a row, botched trades, uh, Mike and Mark, you know, being thrown on the trade market publicly, like all manner of things. And so you kind of learn how it all plays PR wise, and you also learn about uh, the structure of a basketball team. But I I cannot tell you what kind of executive vice president that uh, Zach Hyman is going to be for the Memphis Grizzlies because that it's, it's going to be a new role and a new gig for him. I can only tell you the qualities that he possesses. And I will also tell you that, I mean, Wexler has been very good at identifying people, you know, um, <laughs> I, you know, not to, not to go too deep on this, but I mean, you look at what, uh, what he's pulled and what continues to for what we have done at Grind City Media. And Alexis Morgan was, I mean, a hot name up and coming, and she was with us. And Amar Baptist was the best person in social media going. She was with Fox Sports, and she moved to Memphis and came with us. And Mike Wallace was working for ESPN, for goodness sakes. And Lang Whitaker had been on NBA TV for the last decade. I mean, on and on again, you know, I do think, I do trust that Wex knows, you know, that I think he's probably got a vision of exactly how he wants this to work and that Zach has institutional knowledge of what's going on with the Grizzlies, smart guy that works hard, and so he will play a big role in what takes place also. But I also think they both, you know, have been pretty frank about, you know, their level of understanding um, about, you know, their understanding regarding, like, you know, uh, who should be drafted and, you know, all of – a lot of the things that go into being basketball, what they – I don't think they've ever claimed to be amazing at that. I think what they – you know, if they were to claim what they're really good at, it is how something should run. And that's, you know, that that's the most important thing that they bring to the table is how can this run so that – we have the most effective way of making all of our decisions and doing whatever we have to do with the basketball team. 
it's good to have that perspective. And it, it's also good for climbing. You know, you very often can see good ways of doing things and not so good ways of doing things when you're in that advisory role or in a lesser role in an organization. He has that experience. He's seen what works and what doesn't. So I agree. It's a calculated risk, but I think it's a good one. We're finishing up here with Chris Vernon at Chris Vernon Show on Twitter. He's a host of the, or the host, excuse me, of the NBA show podcast for The Ringer. You're probably more familiar with him if you're listening to this podcast of uh, with his show on Grind City Media. Does a great job over there, as do the other folks at GCM. Make sure you're following him again at Chris Vernon Show. I did a pretty long uh, two-part post over at grizzlybearblues.com, Chris, about the Grizzlies coaching search, what I think should be valued. I listed three names of dream and air quotes candidates, and I also did three uh, more realistic names. And you can throw in any name you want, so we don't necessarily need to talk about the names. Hopefully they're going through an extensive process and everything points to them planning on doing that. But what are you looking for, whether it's a name, just general characteristics in terms of finally getting a coach that can stick around for a while? What are you looking for for the next coach of the Memphis Grizzlies? I think uh, somebody that, you know, um, whether it is from the players that they have worked with prior or that they're that whether it's the players that they have worked with prior or uh because they have a, a track record of uh, players. They, 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 listen, I, I look at it and I say the most important thing is this coach and Jaron Jackson. Because what you cannot do is be flipping out coaches one after another. You have already – Dylan Brooks is already going to be playing for his third coach next year. Unbelievable. And I'm aware he was injured this past year. But, I mean, it's crazy. And so find somebody – that you can work extremely well with, um, that you know, and I guess you always think everybody's going to work really well together. But for whatever reason, it has not worked out. Um, the most important thing is finding somebody who has proven to be a good basketball coach and good communicator, but most importantly, how can I accentuate? What is the best thing for Jaron Jackson? Because I do think you have to start looking at this franchise through the prism of, hey, We've got this guy. We have four years to maximize this for certain um, and make him want to be around here. And so how do we find what will be best going forward um, in this current NBA? And and then you kind of got to decide. You know, if I do think whatever coach you bring in um, is somewhat dependent upon what you're doing with the roster. Do you want a younger guy that is going to have the have have him grow with the franchise? Truthfully, they usually don't get to. Truthfully, they end up getting fired, like David Fisdale did, like J.B. Bickerstaff did, like Earl Watson did. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Um, and so maybe this time around, maybe the best idea is to not go the route of an assistant because that's worked poorly and find somebody that maybe has some head coaching experience and a track record of success. I can't help but look at, you know, what's happened in Orlando with Steve Clifford and think to myself, like, all right, here's somebody that's not learning how to be a head coach. He has been on those sidelines. He knows how to run a team. And so we have tried over and over again to bring in assistance. I don't know. Um, I mean, I can be persuaded, but, I I do think that at some point you look around and go, all right, what kind of problems have we had in the past? And it's the first coaching head coaching job for all of these different guys. And I do think part of that is you want to be able to, you think you're going to be able to like control people, right? Or that they're going to, they don't know any better and they're going to grow up with you. Um, you know, somebody that has proven that they can coach in the NBA and they can win in the NBA, I think is, is very persuasive to me um, in terms of who you can who you can look for. And like I said, I bring up that Clifford thing and look at what he did. That is not necessarily the type of gig that you would think Steve Clifford would get, right? Like that's not they were they're a young up and coming team. Certainly uh, exceeded expectations and and down the stretch going twenty two and nine and making the playoffs. Um, and so you would think, like, maybe, hey, they're trying to find a young, up-and-coming guy, which they had 
again and again, and then obviously they went with Vogel, and then they end up firing him. And so they found somebody that you know can coach and you know has a track record of being able to run a team. And so I'm a little bit on the I hope some guys that have proven they can be in that head role um, get a deeper look than maybe they have in the past because they have just always gone the assistant route. And I cannot help and think about two of the guys that got jobs this year that have attained an immense amount of success, and that's Mike Budenholzer, who obviously left from the Atlanta Hawks, and Steve Clifford, who left from Charlotte. And some of these guys may get fired, right, as the as these playoffs go on. You know, I was reading an article last night saying that uh, this is the end for Brett Brown, one way or another. It's going to be the end for Brett Brown. And so I would just let this thing play out. I'd let the lottery play out because that will probably dictate are you – are you trying to maximize three years from now? Um, and if you get the number one pick or the number two pick, yes. Or are you trying to turn around and, and, and make this uh, a team that's back in the playoffs next year and, and try to build it on the fly? Um, and I think that can somewhat dictate who you want as a head coach. Whether or not it should is a different question, but I think it's something to consider. Brett Brown would be awesome if that were to happen. I think that would uh, I would have to update my article if he did indeed become available. Jacques Vaughn with the Brooklyn Nets has seen a rebuild and how that works. Maybe he deserves another opportunity. Maybe not. His record wasn't very good with Orlando. Uh, Mark Jackson, Mike Brown, there's all sorts of different guys that kind of fit that bill. And experience is definitely valuable in this case. Chris Vernon, thank you so much for joining me, taking the time to chat before you record your show. It's much appreciated. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to have you on down the line. No problem. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thank you, Chris. When we come back, we'll be talking with Colin Griffith of GBB. Make sure you're checking that out. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, the final in- or segment of this installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. You just finished listening to a pretty awesome conversation that I had a chance to have with Chris Vernon of Grind City Media. Finishing up today, Grizzly Bear Blues Live will continue to be a vehicle for trying to get uh, other GBBers on the program. Haven't had a chance to uh, be on yet or somebody that you can kind of get a feel for who they are as a person, uh, that sort of thing. You might have read their work, thought, oh, yeah, I like Colin or whoever it might be in this case today. It's Colin Griffith. Maybe you like that guy and just want to get to know him a little bit more. Uh, So this in keeping with that philosophy, I'd like to welcome a terrific contributor to grizzlybearblues.com. I'm excited for him to tell his kind of side of of what he does for us over at GBB and how he came came to be a writer for us before we get into the coaching and Dylan Brooks and those sorts of things. So first, I want to welcome for the first time Colin Griffith on to the podcast. Colin, how are you doing? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really excited about it. I, as well, you should be, darn it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's it's a great it's a great chance to have you on the podcast. Like I said, you do good work for us over at GBB. And just for folks that maybe aren't familiar, you're kind of an intern, kind of sort of with GrizzlyBearBlues.com. How's that working for you uh, in terms of your uh, your college education and how you're using GBB to help you out? Uh, it's it's going great. Um, technically, my internship runs until May, uh, so I've still got a lot of time left to do to fulfill the requirements I need for school. But um, it's been really amazing uh, at my school for my degree. I need to have some form of internship requirement uh, in order to graduate. And I had taken an internship, and for a long list of reasons, it didn't work out. Um, last summer, and I was worried, you know, what am I going to do now? And actually, my dad had the idea, well, why don't you talk to the guys at your blog and see if you can turn that into an internship? And I ran it by um, the internship director at my school, and he was on board for it. And uh, you've been very helpful in that regard. Um, And it's just been an amazing experience. And, you know, the greatest thing about it is that I get to talk about talking right about one of my favorite sports teams and using it as a vehicle to help me graduate college. So it's been fantastic. 
Well, I was happy to help out, and it's really been a great experience having you with us over at GBB, and hopefully that continues in the years to come. Now, jumping into the, the gigantic post that I put up over at grizzlybearblues.com, Colin, I don't know if you've done this yet or not. You eventually will. You'll sit down to do a post about something, and it'll just get completely out of control. And that's what happened to me last night. It was midnight Eastern time. I had written 3,500 words. Nobody's going to sit there and write, read one post that's 3,500 words long. I had to split it up. I had to rearrange it. I just had a lot to say, I guess, and it's it's been a topic of conversation on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, taking a look at the head coaching rankings for the Memphis Grizzlies, at least my head coaching rankings, uh, the dreams and the realities. And the question of the day over at Grizzly Bear Blues Live on Twitter, at GBB Live, dealt with the dreams in particular. And the three dream targets that I had listed were Becky Hammond, who I wanted to get an interview last year and didn't, obviously. Maybe she could this year. Um, I also had Tony Bennett of the University of Virginia Cavaliers, the defending national champions now, uh, in terms of a college person to bring in. And then uh, Brent Barry, who is, if for those who aren't familiar, a former San Antonio Spurs basketball player. He currently works for the Spurs in their front office. He was a television analyst over at Turner Sports. So he he would kind of be like a Steve, Steve Kerr type in terms of his path to becoming a head coach. So for a variety of reasons, those three names probably won't work. Uh, so far, there's still time to vote uh, as we record this segment. Over 100 votes have been cast. Becky Hammond is in the lead, which is kind of surprising. Uh, maybe I've, I've tooted that horn pretty loudly and folks are following along. I think Brent Berry would be the most attractive at this point because I'm not sure Becky Hammond would get a fair shake in Memphis. I think there's a lot of external factors that would impact her in addition to being inexperienced and trying to find her footing as an NBA head coach. Oh, by the way, the first female NBA head coach in history. So it probably wouldn't work for the Grizzlies. Brent Berry makes the most sense if you're going to try to grab a star, so to speak, quote unquote. Uh, Tony Bennett, maybe a little bit less because why would he leave UVA? But I'm kind of curious, one, if you did get a chance to read those articles and I, even if it's just the dream scenarios that I laid out there, what are some names that you kind of like as future Grizzly candidates? And then also in, in a more broad sense, what do you value with a future coaching candidate? Do you value scheme the most? Do you value the ability to communicate? Because obviously the Grizzlies aren't very good at the whole communication thing. Yeah, uh, that is, I would definitely agree with you there. And I did get a chance to look at um, both of your articles. I uh, thought they were very well written. And as far as the, the dream scenario ones go, if I had to pick one of those three, um, I did uh, pick, you know, I've loved what he's been able to accomplish at Virginia. Um, he, you know, he's kind of built a program up from nothing. He's had that adversity, adversity you know, he lost last year. Uh, as the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed in the tournament and to turn around and then win the championship um, has been an amazing story. Uh, he's always been scheme over star power. Uh, he's been great at getting all the guys to buy into what he's selling and turns it into an absolute powerhouse. You know, nobody wants to play Virginia. Uh, they're so great with their execution on both ends of the floor and they really wear you down. Um and I would love a guy who can come to Memphis and get all the guys to buy in. And people can be skeptical of college coaches. You know, they don't think that what guys do at college can work at the next level when you have professional guys who are doing this for a living. Um, but he is one of the guys who I think would be able to um, have that kind of success and get the players to buy in. Um, if I had to pick someone else other than the guys you listed, I really would have loved Stackhouse to get a shot. Um, you know, he's had success as a player, and he had success in the G League as the coach for uh, the Raptors affiliate. And uh, watching him get the job at Vanderbilt was bittersweet because, you know, it's great that he gets his head coaching opportunity, but I would have loved to get him, uh, for him to get a fair shake with the Memphis job. Yeah, Stackhouse would have been a good fit. It's almost like he kind of saw the writing on the wall. Uh, he knew – that he had a concrete opportunity for him at Vanderbilt that he could get out while the getting was good. No other coaches are being retained from the Grizzlies staff. Chad Forcier, who was a uh, a rumored in-house candidate before he tweeted out that it was on to the next one. Nobody's being brought back from that coaching staff. 
that was led by J.B. Bickerstaff. So it's really a bit of a house cleaning when it comes to the coaching side of things. I'm with you on Tony Bennett. I'm really impressed with his steadfast belief in how he does things. Again, as I wrote in both pieces, the Grizzlies don't have an identity right now. And Jason Wexler and Zachary Kleiman, they're not the types that are going to go out and be those public faces that are going to set what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly. I think it's going to have to come from the head coach, and Tony Bennett would be able to do that. I think all six of the names that I listed in both articles would be solid pieces in that puzzle, but of course, it doesn't always work out that way. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We're chatting with Colin Griffith. He's a terrific contributor to grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Colin Griff, GBB. Uh, We are in the midst of our player review series all through the month of April or the rest of the month of April. We are going to be taking a closer look at the seasons that were for Grizzlies who played at least double digit games for the team. So sorry, Tyler Zeller, you're not making the cut on this. But that does mean that guys like Garrett Temple, who on Wednesday, as you record this podcast, his review is up on grizzlybearblues.com. By Brandon Abraham. You have Greg Ratliff, who wrote about Dylan Brooks, who we're about to talk about here in a moment. And I know that you've signed up for a couple of these reviews as well. As you look at Dylan Brooks in particular, because Chris Vernon points out in the segment prior to this one, this is going to be Dylan Brooks's third head coach. You know, so figuring out what the hell you have in Dylan Brooks is going to be pretty important moving forward. Is he the guy who contributed at such a high level in the lost season the first time around that led us to Jaron Jackson Jr.? Is he injury prone as he kind of looks to be in his sophomore campaign? This next season coming up for Dylan is really important. So I wanted to lead off with your thoughts on what Dylan Brooks, obviously his third season, potentially his last in Memphis, in maybe this past season was his last, depending on the head coach and and how they view him in terms of opting in on his contract. But assuming he comes back, he's a cheap deal. He's shown capacity to, uh, a capacity to produce. So I don't understand why he wouldn't be brought back for one more season at least. What are your expectations for Dylan Brooks heading into a pretty pivotal year in his young career? Um, well, I would absolutely love to see him get back to the kind of production he enjoyed more as uh, a rookie. Um, I, I agree with you when I hope that they would bring him back, um, especially, you know, he's not going to be too expensive as a second round pick on his rookie deal. Um, and, and if you know anything about me, you know that I'm a pretty big Dylan Brooks guy, uh, also a big or- Oregon basketball fan. So to have him and Tyler Dorsey on the same team is just, it's Nirvana for me. Um, but I mean, you look at the numbers compared to his rookie and sophomore campaigns, and obviously he missed a lot of time when he was injured. And he gained a lot of time his rookie year with all the injuries on the wing that they had. But um, when he was healthy his sophomore year, all of his numbers were down. His minutes were down. His uh, points, everything was down across the board. He was playing less time. And it just kind of seemed like he either fell out of favor with the coaching staff or they were just giving more running time to some of the guys like Garrett Temple and that kind of thing. Um, and going, th- going through three head coaches in three years can, you know, be a tough adjustment for a young guy, but I would love to see him kind of bounce back and play like he did with his rookie year. Hopefully he comes back fully healthy and he gets the green light to, uh, just kind of play his game. Um, he's, he's a good scorer, but he also has a pretty well-rounded game. He's a decent passer. He does effort on defense. Uh, so I would love to see him kind of get back to the production he had in his first year in the league. Finishing up here with Colin Griffith, tremendous contributor over at grizzlybearblues.com. He's done a good job on Twitter for us. He's done a good job as a writer. Make sure you're following him. If you don't already do so, at Colin Griff, GBB. Finishing up here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live, I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Uh, Same question with Ivan Rabb, because obviously Ivan Rabb in a similar situation to Dylan Brooks. Ivan had more opportunity this season than Dylan did, and maybe it was vice versa. The first year out, Dylan had more opportunity than Ivan. Rab is a pretty impressive offensive talent as a big. He's kind of a throwback to the post-up mid-range game of bigs a decade or so ago. But he, as much as he makes an impact offensively, he seems to have issues defensively. He's far too thin to defend centers. He's not athletic enough or fleet of foot enough laterally to be able to defend fours. So he's kind of a a weird in-between defensively where his net, negativity as a defender 
may negate whatever he can be offensively on that side of the floor. So similar question regarding Ivan Rab and his game. I'm a little more worried about Ivan than I am Dylan. Uh, yeah, I would tend to agree with you um, on that. I am a little more worried about what Ivan can do going forward versus Dylan. Um, he definitely is a talented player offensively. Uh, he's great length. He's got verticality. He's very smooth, and he um, can handle the ball pretty well. And if he adds a three-point shot to his game or or more consistent three-point shot, that would be amazing. Uh, and he definitely needs to work on his defensive side. One of the things um, that I noticed, especially towards the end of the year, specifically the games against Portland and Detroit, uh, N.S. Cantor and Andre Drummond, when he was matched up with him, uh, basically took one shed. You know, he does not have the bulk and strength to match up with guys in the NBA. So I would love for him to basically just spend his offseason living in the gym, you know, adding some extra muscle to that frame. And um, lateral, his quickness laterally, um, you know, can be kind of negated with the right coaching system. You know, they can find ways to get him in the best position that doesn't require him to be as fleet of foot you know, as maybe someone would like. Uh, that's definitely something that can be improved by the right coaching system. But I would love for him to, you know, kind of work on adding a three-point shot to his game or a more consistent one, uh, so to speak, and to definitely he's got to add some muscle if he wants to find a way to stick around. Um, he's got so much talent, and it would be great to see him stick around with Memphis, but he does have some work to do, I think. Absolutely. I agree with that completely. I think the three-point shot is another important addition there. If you're going to not be a solid defender, obviously there's plenty of guys in the NBA who can't defend very well. The key is to be more of a plus on the offensive end than you are a negative on the defensive side of things. And he has to emphasize that, and he has to be able to keep himself in the post. Uh, he just can't get uh, ragdolled as he would at times because of his slight frame. Wrapping up here with Colin Griffith, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Colin Griff, GBB. Colin, I, I want to get you out of here on this. This was your first full season at, in this role with your internship and all that <laughs> sort of thing over at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm curious, it was a rough season for the Grizzlies as a whole, especially considering it was the end of an era with Marcus Gasol and all that stuff. As we review yep. the season over the next couple of weeks at GBB, I'm curious, what is something that you're going to remember about this group of Grizzlies and this season as a whole regarding you know positive negative whatever it might be there's a lot of ways that you can kind of take it what do you think you're going to remember most about the 2018 2019 memphis grizzlies uh one thing would be uh tying our own record for most player appearances in a season um you know it's kind of something that always live in infamy so to speak but another thing is just some of the breakout games and some of the some of the guys that we've had here over the course of the year that can kind of speak to the potential that this team has, you know, Jaron Jackson taking over against the Brooklyn Nets and winning the game for them. Uh, Delon Wright, you know, going crazy with the triple doubles at the end of the year. He should be an intriguing guy going forward, assuming Memphis brings him back. Uh, my boy, Tyler Dorsey, um, you know, taking over for a couple games in March and proving that, you know, he does have the skills needed to, to stick around. It's just more about finding some more consistency with him. And uh, some of the some of the minutes that Javon Carter has played, you know, he went off against Golden State to end the year and get a memorable debut against the Rockets. Um, so just kind of some of the impact that the guys have the potential to make. It's just about getting them in the right system and getting some consistency across the board with them. 100%. And obviously the changes in the front office, the eventual hiring of a new head coach and another front office personnel type to help out Kleiman and Wexler will all play huge roles in that. Colin Griffith, thank you so much for joining me on the show. This episode, it is much appreciated. Uh, appreciate all the work you do for us over at GBB, and we will have you back on the show down the road. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks. Uh, very excited to be able to come on here today, and I look forward to it again in the future. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, there he goes, Colin Griffith of GBB. Follow him on Twitter at Colin Griff GBB. For Colin, for Chris Vernon in the terrific segment prior to this great one with Colin, and for all of you, thank you so much for listening, making us a part of your Memphis Grizzlies experience. As always, this will be the last episode for a little while, not too long. Uh, if opportunity presents itself, maybe I'll get one more in this week. But more than likely, it'll be a little while until the next time we're on 
the SB Nation Network. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on Stitcher. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify, on Apple and Google Podcasts. Essentially, anywhere that you can find podcasts, you can now find Grizzly Bear Blues Live and the GBB Podcast Network. Parker Fleming announced today that the Core 4 will be making their transition over to the network in the next week or so, which is terrific news. So lots of different voices. We're going to keep building this thing up as we expand our podcast reach at grizzlybearblues.com. So again, for Colin, for Chris Vernon, I am Joe Mullinax, the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com and the host of this podcast saying, Grind for thanks again. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. <laughs>